Jesse Douglas Smith McGraw, and this is What Moves You with Jesse. I'm a transformative coach on a mission to share an understanding of how our minds work that challenges how we react to life and our thoughts. I love to share stories and common sense ideas that empower you to take charge of yourself in a way that brings immediate and profound change. What I know to be true is that we are all innately healthy and doing our best with the thinking we have available to us on a moment-to-moment basis. And waking up to this will change what moves you. I'm so happy you're here. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to What Moves You with Jesse. For our first interview of season four, I have for you an incredibly insightful conversation with a woman who has had a huge impact, not only on my life, but the lives of countless humans. She, along with her husband, has co-founded a nonprofit called One Solution, with the mission of, in their words, solving large-scale global challenges by helping individuals, communities, and systems to change from within. Believing that educating people about the mind so they can reconnect to their innate well-being, resilience, and capacity for new ideas is the most efficient and sustainable solution to any problem. <laughs> Before co-founding One Solution, Mara worked with individuals, businesses, and organizations, including MIT-trained physicists, UN directors, U.S. Marines, NHL players, Microsoft managers, children, and prisoners, in helping them see where their resilience, creativity, innovation, and solutions were prolifically available to them. She has written a book that should be on the shelf of every classroom, in my opinion. (laughs) It's titled, One Thought Changes Everything. She's a mother of two beautiful kiddos and is one of the kindest and most honest human beings you'll have the chance to listen into. So without further ado, here is Mara Gleason Olson. Hi, Mara. Hello. Good morning. It's nice to see you. It's so nice to see you too. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm looking forward to the conversation. We always have good ones. Yes. So good. Um, So before we get started, um, Ms. Mara Gleason Olson, I want to say one piece about the impact you have made on my life. I watched the tears come up and then they went back down again. So that way we don't, I'm trying to get it together. So I don't start every episode a mess, (laughs) a beautiful mess. Yeah, exactly. Um, So when I discovered this understanding that, that is kind of the foundation to what I share and, and what I teach and my business and everything, um, you were actually one of the first person, first people that I quote unquote found and trying to kind of figure out what is it that I had seen? Cause I had an insight into everything I was feeling was coming from me, not mm. from my circumstances where, which at the time were making me what I thought were the things making me depressed. Yeah. And so when I, had, you know, I had called my mom and was like, Oh my God, I found something that nobody has talked about. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. And she said, oh no, there's something called the three principles. <laughs> and uh, it was such a wonderful thing to discover be- that there was already kind of a path. So that way I, I didn't have to be like trying to, you know, figure out what is this thing that I've seen and how do I start to tell people about it? Um, and so when, when I looked, you know, up Sydney Banks and what does this look like, you know, just kind of went on this learning curve. Um, you were one of the first people that I came across and I watched your videos. Uh, your book had just come out, I believe, like even maybe just a month after I found you. Mm. And um, 
the way that you share, it is so uh, clear, simple, um, and it's so heartfelt that I couldn't, I couldn't eat it up enough. If you were in a professor's setting, I would have been in all of your office hours. Because, <laughs> <laughs> um, it truly, whenever I felt like, you know, and I've had Elsie on the podcast and she, she had said to me when I, when I met her for the first time, she had really encouraged me to not go down the road of doing a bunch of workshops and, you know, going down the road of really taking it in from other people. She said, please continue to be mentored by mind, as I'm sure you've heard her say before, Mm -hmm. mentored by that, that bigger, the bigger mind. Um, because she was so appreciative that it was something that I was kind of discovering for myself. And so I took it to heart and I never signed up for any classes or any, anything, because I really wanted to kind of keep my lane as clear as possible and kind of seeing what I was seeing new, but you were one of the only people that I continued to look up videos and stuff when I was like, okay, I'm starting to feel a little, is this real? Is this not real? And you always reset me. And, um, Anyway, I just really want to thank you in a deep, deep, profound way. I have letters that I have written to you in journals just out of, <laughs> just out of appreciation because I was like wanting to be able to get that out of me. But of course, you were like out in the world and I didn't uh-huh. know you. So last night, reflecting on you and I talking today, I was like, this is major in my life. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I really feel that. I really do. Thank you so much for saying all of that. Um, it's, it's why I feel so lucky that, um, I came across a, something that I could understand for myself that helped my life, but B that gave me work that was really meaningful. And, and I know I was super hesitant and sort of dragging my feet about writing a book because I didn't think of myself as a writer, but, um, you know, every person that tells me things like what you just said, I'm just grateful that I'm able to do the work I do and can share anything that's helped me with any other human in the world, because every person that says what you say, um, just fuels my fire to be a participant in this thing called the human race. Cause sometimes it's hard to to do that. (laughs) Sometimes we really don't want to actually. Um, so words like yours go a long way for me. Thank you. Awesome. Especially these days, because the actual terrain of your life looks very different from when I first discovered you. Yeah, it does. It does. We we have babies in the other room. We do. We have two of them, two little ones that both need so much from me at this stage in their life. I have a two-year-old and a four-month-old. Yeah. So that's become my new quote unquote work in the world. (laughs) Yes. God, I can't even, when I get to that point, I will be calling you going, yes. oh my God, <laughs> yeah. does, does the, the, remind me this understanding still exists inside me, right? Because I'm, I'm losing it. <laughs> totally. Totally. No. And I've had, as you can imagine with all like major life changes and challenges and you, you always have to dig deeper and learn more. So I do feel like I've been learning a lot as any parent will tell you, your children become your greatest teacher. So it's yeah. been cool. It's been hard, but it's been cool. That's amazing. So uh, to get us kind of get the ball rolling, um, I would love just for to set kind of a foundation. And I apologize if this sounds like a big question, but hopefully it doesn't sound too big for you. How do you describe this understanding that you and I share? How do you describe that and or the work that you do in the world with it? How do you describe that to somebody who asks you, hi, Mara, nice to meet you. What do you do? Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. I'm sorry. This question always makes me spin. So yeah, my family members love to put this question on me when we're out in public. Yeah. What do you do again, Mara? Explain it. Let's hear it. Um, It's, it's evolved for me, which I actually have grown to really love. I used to find it annoying that I couldn't say like, I'm a makeup artist or I'm a director or I'm an accountant. And I kind of envied people that had a single word or a couple of words that they could use to describe their profession. Um, 
I love now that I don't have a packaged answer, um, that it kind of has to come to me in the moment every single time, because it is a moving and evolving thing. Um, and it has really changed words and it's been defined and redefined many times in my life and career. Um, so all that crap said, (laughs) I feel like, um, all we do is help point people to a deeper truth that is the wellness inside everyone. I think especially now having children, you see that people are born with enormous resilience, enormous well-being, and basically just a very powerful life force coursing through them that wants to um, serve them, that wants to help them learn how to do things like talk and walk and, and learn how to connect with people or not even learn, just be that connection with people that, that there is this natural innate source of resilience, intelligence, and well-being inside every person. In fact, I would say inside nature, I, I see it in, in trees and weather systems as well as, as humans. And, and that by helping people look in that direction, they reconnect to their ability to find the life force in themselves that makes life feel more doable. It makes life more enjoyable. It makes them, it helps them to solve problems and to increase all the things that they want to increase in their life, love, connection, life satisfaction. And that in so doing, that changes individuals, which then change the families they're a part of, which then change the communities they're a part of, which changes the organizations and the systems and so on and so forth. So it's become for me, what was initially a very individual and personal journey to now what I see as a very systemic, global collective consciousness journey, which is how do we help create a world that benefits all by helping people reconnect to that innate resilience, well-being, and intelligence. And I feel that the state of the world as it is today is suffering tragically, dramatically, because we have overlooked the importance of that um, experience, that education, that focus in society. Um, So now I run a nonprofit organization called One Solution that looks at how connecting people to this innate resilience and intelligence is the quickest and most sustainable way to solve our social and environmental and global challenges. That whether you're looking at something like poverty, gun violence, racism, environmental degradation, they're all a reflection of a lack of well-being and connection to that innate resilience and intelligence. And I've seen it. It's not just a good idea. I have seen it in action that when individuals reconnect to that source within themselves, they begin to solve problems. They begin to be a part of the solution to those problems in their community. And they naturally want to connect with others, with nature and the world around them in a way that promotes harmony and solutions as to promote, as opposed to promoting problems, crime, um, disconnection, violence. And it's so clear to me now that we cannot help it, but be a part of the problem when we feel bad, me included. I see it on a micro scale every day that I cannot show up for my children in a way that's productive. I cannot show up for my community in a way that's productive. I can't frankly give a shit about the environment when I'm feeling stressed out, overwhelmed, um, And the flip side is true. When I feel okay, when I feel at peace in myself, I am a beautiful mother. I am a beautiful community member. I am a steward of this planet and I feel called to help make it better when I feel good on the inside. So it's just such a no brainer to me that that's why why we call the nonprofit One Solution. It's, It's not that there is an answer. It's that all people become the answer when they feel good on the inside. And the flip side is we're all the problem when we don't feel good on the inside. So if you're scratching your head going, wow, things look really bad out there these days. um, That's why, in my humble opinion, that's why. And so that's what we need to be focusing on. Okay. Maybe we should just hang up now. (laughs) 
I mean, I wish it was that simple. I wish we could hang up now and be like, okay, good. Everybody got it. But as you and I both know, um, it's a simple concept, but it's very complex in its layers of how we go about making that happen. Um, yes. Yeah, absolutely. I had a, uh, thought for later down the line, but this pro- this feels right to, to share it now is, um, or to ask you now about, I know what I come ag- up against is of challenges of, of, of kind of taking this into different arenas. And, um, uh, I am, uh, thank, thank God for what we know about all of this, that I, it's not, uh, discouraging me from stopping. It does from time to time. But it does, it only lasts like a couple hours and then I get a good night's rest and I get up bright eyed and bushy tailed again. But um, what are you finding that is uh, difficult or challenging about um, about about sharing this message and share it's not a message, sharing this truth, sharing this this understanding that that really does change change everything on such a deep level. I mean, there's a part of me that goes, Mara, you belong in the white house. Like, you know, like what, what do you find? (laughs) My girlfriends from high school say the same Mara for president, but it's like, Oh hell no. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, I I would imagine that being the president would probably be a pain in the ass. Cause at that point, I feel like you're just a sock puppet, but you know, totally being one of the, like, underlings that's actually doing that, you know, it would be amazing if that, if you were pulled in that direction, but what do you, what do you guys find or what do you find is challenging when you are really taking this into the world in the way that you are, um, you know? Um, I think the biggest thing for me is I think a lot of humans could say this, but it, it genuinely is like anyone who has met my father will, will understand. Like I was raised like go big, go fast or go home. You know, like it's kind of like, he's very visionary. He's very impatient. And so I know I have a lot of that in me because I was raised in that spirit as well. Um, so I get really impatient. Um, and then I get the, the, the mother in me, it's not even the mother in me. I felt this way before I was a mother. I've always been a very sensitive soul. So even as a kid, I remember going I grew up in Atlanta and we would go see the Braves, the Atlanta Braves baseball team and going down there, you know, we would see a lot of homeless people and I would cry every time. Like I could not as a child distance myself from other suffering. Um, I, I was always involved in kind of volunteering with kids with disabilities, even in my own elementary school, I worked in the classroom for kids with down syndrome and things like that. I really, really feel Um, and, and part of me thinks probably everybody does until it's switched off or coded over by, you know, society and, and, and ego, and we get more involved in ourselves. But so I get impatient and I get sad. Those are my two struggles. Um, and I don't fight those feelings anymore because I know that they're normal and I know that there's also beauty in them. And frankly, you know, as you would know too, there's no point in fighting any feeling. It doesn't really do anything other than make it worse and harder in your life. So particularly, um, I have allowed myself to feel deep, deep, deep sadness in the last few years, um, both for what's going on, you know, in our country, uh, on our planet. When I look at the, um, the environmental destruction and the impact that it's having on animals and humans and oceans. Um, and when I look at how pervasive violence is in America, I live in Southside Chicago, so it's pretty constant. We work with young people. Um, it's, it's literally a, a constant reality for them. It's actually in our neighborhood where we live become, where we live become a constant reality. Um, we had a shooting in front of our apartment a couple weeks ago. So I see those things and I, and I feel a temptation to want to turn off my feelings about that because it feels like a survival instinct, but I also know it's, I, I need to go through them. Um, and you know, my, my brother's wife and two children were a victim of violence. They were killed by someone who was um, struggling, uh, just two years ago. And that more than anything taught me, you have to feel 
deep sadness for the sickness in the world, the suffering in the world. Like it's not um, a distant thing. It's something that affects all of us. And sometimes it massively affects you and something like what happened to my brother's family happened. So that's hard. Um, but I, I don't want to live without it. I don't want to become numb to it. I know, frankly, I couldn't because as you and I both know, if you try not to feel big feelings, you end up with worse ones like anxiety. <laughs> so, like, <laughs> so I really, um, I just have to go through my phases of just feeling really sad and knowing, like you said, that's okay. And it will pass. And it's not a good or bad thing that it's going to pass. It's not like, oh, when it passes, I can get back to like being a normal. It's like, no, this is part of being a normal human. And there will be another moment, another day where that fires me up, where when, when I see, you know, look, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. When I see young children being murdered by unhealthy people, um, that's a reason to get up and do what I do some days. It's also a reason to stay under the covers and cry some days, but it's also, you know, a huge motivator for me. So that's one. The impatience one is interesting because I've, I've come to appreciate like both through education, like reading books, like like sapiens and seeing kind of like the evolution of humanity and culture and society where I'm like, yeah, you got to be kidding. If you think you're going to see some like magical shift in your own lifetime, you have to get cool with being a participant in a larger unfolding that takes many generations. So my husband and I, we started the nonprofit together, One Solution. And we basically said, look, we're we're okay with the fact that it might be hundreds of years from now that the seeds we planted today make a difference. Um, if you're familiar with the, the company seventh generation, um, oh, yes. they're, you know, kind of an environmentally friendly um, home products brand and seventh generation I learned is basically a, um, I'm going to botch this, but it's some, something to do with a Native American um, understanding that you do today what's going to affect seven generations from now, um, wow. which I thought was really beautiful and also made me feel like, yeah, that's that's the kind of game I want to be involved in. It's not about me getting to pat myself on the back and reap rewards in this lifetime necessarily, although to my point earlier with what you said, I do, because there are individuals that say things to me like you did. And, and I'd be lying if I didn't say that feels really good. And it feels affirming. Um, but ultimately what we want to do on a larger scale is, is change the very foundation of society that people understand that resilience, well-being have to come first. They have to be looked at first. They have to be focused on if, in order to have systems that work and serve all humans and nature. So that's not something I'm necessarily going to see in my lifetime. And that's got to be okay with me. Yeah. It's not every day. <laughs> Sometimes I get really impatient. Yeah. And I look at like, you know, we're working in, with schools in the city of Chicago and I get frustrated because I know if we had more funding, we could train more young leaders and the young leaders are the ones who are working with um, younger kids in school. So it's like, sometimes I just get frustrated. Like if we had a million dollars, we could actually make a bigger dent much quicker. Uh, but again, like the other thing, the sadness, it's like that frustration and impatience can also fuel us trying to figure out, yeah, we should get funding faster. We really should. So let's get on that. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I love that you guys are, I, I can totally appreciate going, going to schools as, as kind of a, such a focus because I mean, having that, that concept in mind of seven generations ahead of you is what you're starting with now with your impact mm -hmm. that, I mean, that's brilliant to start with the little ones. So that way they have that as a deep understanding going into the world and then everything else looks off from that. Right. Exactly. So they have eyes for it. That's what Dejan says. I know you had Dejan on yes. as well, but he says, you know, we don't want to just get to the point where, and sorry, Dejan is one of the young people that we work yes. with. Right? Dejan White. And I've had him on Instagram lives. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Everyone just throw that name out there. So he, yeah. you know, run co-founded the, the youth portion of what we do called the rebels for peace. Um, 
And he says, you know, with our work, we don't just want to get to the point where gun violence isn't happening as much. And, you know, all of these problems go down, like, yes, we want the problems to go down, but more importantly, we want to help empower a generation where it wouldn't even occur for those problems to exist in the first place, that it's not, how do we reduce gun violence? It's to your point, the kids that are raised with, with a greater sense of internal well-being aren't going to look to the external world and create the same problems. It's not even going to make sense to them to do the same things. It wouldn't cross their mind. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And I can only imagine that the implications of that would then be things go down. Yes. Right. Right. In the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So at one point, I, I know the kind of the beginning of One Solution, me just being a fan and watching from the outside, that um, you guys were kind of beginning to to consider talking with like the Chicago Police Department. And there, you know, there were kind of different, you had different arms that were going into different directions. Mm-hmm. Do you guys still pursue those directions? Or are you really focused on education for right now? Um. The short answer is we still pursue different directions because we don't ever want to um, act like or look like we're focused on at-risk youth as if that's the problem that needs solving. It's like, no, I know from working with young people who are living in conflict zones that they need a hell of a lot of help. There's so much trauma going on there. So on the one hand, yes, yes, we're focused on the youth. Yes, we're picking areas where we feel it's really needed. Um, And for, you know, what you just said about the seventh generation things like that's why. And we're also always trying to work with um, the adults, the influencers, the criminal justice system. So one of the partnerships that we have with the Inside Alliance, we work with people who are incarcerated and, and also looking to work with people who um, influence the criminal justice system. Because when you're looking at something as fundamental as how well people feel on the inside is what they create on the outside, that's true of presidents. It's true of CEOs of businesses that then trickle down and affect everything from supply chain and how that's affecting the planet to equality and the livable wage that you pay your people, how racially or gender that is biased one way or the other. So it's like, it's so massive. Um, And we really don't want to, we don't want to bite off too much and be ineffective, but we don't ever want to just focus on one group because it is interconnected. It is everyone affecting everything. So we have to help, you know, the CEOs of companies that are responsible for deforestation and Amazon, as much as we help the young people living in Southside Chicago and these um, immersed in this crazy gun violence. And I'm actually really grateful that particularly in the last few years, as young people have become a louder voice in activism and policy, it's becoming way more common and understood that these are not separate issues. They don't exist in a vacuum. They are all interconnected. So phrases like climate justice is social justice is, is not something that I feel like we're saying um, alone. There's a lot of people saying this. So they are all connected. And we do want to always be looking at how do we work with all different players and participants in the current state of the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. What are the um, outside challenges of, of um, trying to navigate those bigger systems? Um, I mean, really it's human power. Like I wish we had more people in our organization and I wish we had the funding to have more people in our organization quicker. So that's just a simple one, but I think we'll get there with time. Um, and we're growing with intention. So I think that's also part of it. It's like, you could, you know, you could try to run, but also get sloppy sort of thing. I don't know. And I mean, frankly, we're just limited. I I have my, uh, my, my, strengths and weaknesses. And I'm sure there are other people that probably could grow this organization a lot quicker than, than I can just, I'm just learning as I go sort of thing. So probably myself would be the short answer that I'm (laughs) I'm the big, now that I'm thinking of it, I'm probably the biggest challenge, but 
the other thing is just um, continuing to stay true to the boldness of the message. I think, like you asked, we're always trying to kind of almost be thought leaders that are speaking a very large point into the world, which is like, I don't care if you're running the United Nations or Russia or um, a mom and pop shop in a community that's really struggling. Like this is relevant to all humans and all humans need it. And we collectively need to prioritize it like we prioritize clean water in a lot of places in the world. It's like, you just, there's got to be a shift where we see that well being is the underpinning of everything. Um, and so that being willing to stick to that broad of a message, um, but also not lose people. So it's important that we have the grassroots work. Like it's important that we have the Rebels for Peace teaching about well being in schools to sixth, seventh, and eighth graders on the South side of Chicago, like both of those things need to coexist at the same time, because otherwise the kind of meta idea gets lost in like idea land. Yes. Like, hmm, yeah, of course. Anyone can agree with that. Yes. We'd all love more well-being. Wouldn't that be super good luck? You know, there's kind of like a, and we want to make it like, no, no, really not yeah. good luck, like totally necessary as important as drinking water. Let's yes. fucking prioritize it already. Yes. And so being willing to do that dance and not be afraid and back down because there's been many times where, for example, for funding purposes, it's like, well, why don't you just focus on youth in Chicago? Because then when you apply for grants, you get, and look, I get it. Sometimes you do just focus on different, but it's like, we don't ever want to lose the broader humanity where we're headed as a species part of the conversation and we also don't want to lose how that happens on a human to human level from one young person to another in a conflict zone kind of thing so so it's really doing that dance and staying true to it and not getting lost in one or the other because the flip side is true too i don't want to just go around to conferences and be an idea person talking about ideas i also want to make sure that the Dejans and princes and all the other young people in the world that we work with actually have a change in their life. That's real and sustainable for them. Yes. Yes. I feel everything you are saying so deeply and it is because it's so true. Cause it's such a, um, you know, everybody already kind of has this concept in mind of, well, of course, when I feel good, I, I, you know, that would make sense that if we all started feeling good more often that, that we would see, better in the world. Like they, there's this, you know, it's like they kind of go into this compartment in their brain and then, you know, the depth of what we're talking about, the impact of what we're talking about, the implications of what we're talking about truly are life-changing and similar to you and what you're seeing on a bigger scale. Um, you know, because of where I'm at career wise right now, I see it on an individual scale and it's incredible to watch as I know you saw at one point when you were doing it more in the way I am years ago, but it's, it's every time, every mm -hmm. time I, I was just with a, a client a week ago, I went to go visit him in Montecito. He's up in, up in Montecito area, moved there for a huge career change that fell into his lap. And I, you know, I went to go be with him because I, I wanted to see what he was experiencing. Cause he said, he goes, I wouldn't, yeah. this would not be happening for me yeah. if I didn't have a sense of my own wellness and have, and knowing that I could have clarity of mind at any moment. Yeah. And of course he puts it on me and I'm like, take it back because mm -hmm. I just pointed you in the right direction and he embraced it and he could sense how that could change his life. And then because of that, it's insane to see what has, what the ripple effect has been. Even his husband goes, Jesse, six months ago, I could not imagine that this is where we would be today. Yeah. And it's purely because, yeah. you know, he got back to his own true self and his own goodness and mm -hmm. got 
out of the rat race of all of these different ideas in his mind that he thought he had to be in order to be a successful person, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And it's so much deeper than just gaining success in the world. It's so much deeper than that. And that is what's been so huge for him is that it's healed so much in himself that he's held on to from his own past traumas and his own experiences and all these ideas of who he thought he needed to be in the world. It's just, it's, you know, it's, it's incredible what it does for people. Yeah. And that was what was shocking to me. Like my journey was, I, I didn't set out to I mean, I don't know how to say it. I didn't set out to do what we're doing today. It happened by observing how profoundly people could change their own lives when they felt connected to this internal well-being and that it was no longer this externally controlled or derived thing. And I just, it blew me away how many people solved really complicated things in their lives really effortlessly. And then I started working more with organizations and seeing how that was true at an organizational level. Yeah. Duh. Cause it's just a bunch of individuals, but it was like to watch like a team of engineers and physicists be able to come up with more brilliant ideas that solved things like, and I'm not making this up, but like the technology in, in, in Black Hawk helicopters that was making them fail and go down and killing you know, soldiers, it was like, oh yeah, when people feel better, not only do they not beat their kids or not pick up a gun and see that as the solution to the interpersonal conflict they're happening having, but they also get better ideas. And you and I both know this too, like on a simple level, it's like, yeah, people have better ideas when they're exercising more regularly or they get better sleep. Like they wake up and they have, so there's this really profound thing that you start to see. It's like, Oh, when you start tapping into that on a collective level, we start inventing different things. We start designing systems differently. Like it's all a rippling out of, you know, what you saw with that guy you worked with in Montecito. It's like, yeah, if he can do that in his own life, imagine what groups of humans can do in terms of transforming communities and organizations and entire systems. And to your point before, like, we also can't help but make really dysfunctional systems that are focused on just serving certain people because those certain people don't have the eyeballs to see how they're having a bigger impact on others. They're really only looking after how do I look after me? How do I look after my wealth? How do I look after my own good feeling? How do I chase that versus how do I be more expansive And it's not even a how, I keep saying the word how to, it's like, what I love about this is it happens automatically. It just happens automatically when people feel better. And that's when I think it's proof that we are all one interconnected energy. There's just shit in the way that hides that sometimes. And so when that shit gets out of the way, the interconnectivity of all things becomes a natural effortless byproduct of how humans behave, period. Yes. I just had this flash in my head because the room that I'm sitting in right now is, is kind of full of crap actually right now (laughs) because of the holidays. Um, But I just had this flash where I thought it's in the same kind of way that when we, when we feel kind of pride of ownership in our own spaces and in, in our homes. Right. And we kind of, you know, maybe it can get to a certain level of mess, but at some point, we naturally just kind of go, oh, we want to clean this up, tidy it up, make it feel nice, right? Mm -hmm. The same goes for, that is the exact same thing that happened within me on a bigger level when it comes to looking at the homelessness around me, looking at how people are treating each other, having like, I've always had an appreciation for, 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 um, um, even politics and and activism pre um, 2016, I I had an appreciation for it. But then, you know, as things got kind of hairy with our leadership changing in a really intense way, uh, it was amazing because it was, it was literally around the exact same time that I started to kind of see this about having this understanding of our mind and seeing this about ourselves and, and, um, in the same way that when I, when I walk into a room of my house and I just naturally get pulled to want to tidy it up 
it's the same kind of natural process that happens when you begin to really be awakened to your own well-being. You have eyes for that in the world. You mm-hmm. start to naturally want to help. It's not this, ooh, how do I start making an impact on the environment? No, like you naturally start to mm-hmm. not take the straw. And I know that's really minimal as far as an idea, but you know, you know, starting to go, you know, maybe we should try to, you know, get a compost thing going and what, mm-hmm. and it's not me going, how do I make, how do I make an impact on the environment? It just becomes a natural awareness yeah, because of that interconnectedness, that, that, that well-being that you're, that you are aware of. And it's like, you have eyes for it in a different way. So it doesn't become this, oh God, it's going to be hard work to now become somebody who's an advocate for other people or somebody who, who starts to actually try to change their ways of living their habits. So that way they make a better impact on the environment. It's like, no, that actually, none of that really gets in my way. There's a natural pull to want to tidy up the globe. (laughs) Totally. No. And I think that's, what's such an important missing part of the conversation is right now. It's all about how do we force people to change or big business or whatever you want to call it oil or how do we, you know, innovate our way out of this, come up with genius technology solutions. And both of those to me are missing the deeper point, which is that you don't actually have to force people and great ideas come naturally when people are connected to their well-being. So it, it literally CEOs of corporations are naturally going to look at what they're doing and go, you know what, actually, I want to clean up my supply chain. I don't just want to recycle the shit that we know shouldn't go to the landfill. I actually want to look at every single part of my supply chain and ask, how could it get better? How could it get cleaner? How could it become more circular? You know, that's, that's something that people naturally have eyes for and a pull toward when they feel more connected to the whole. And that's where I say it starts to get quite profound and spiritual when, and again, I'm not making this up. I've seen it happen to people. It's like, when the ideas that have kept them stressed out is self-absorbed, because we're all self-absorbed when we're stressed out because we're in survival mode, that when those ideas fall away, we naturally look at others and others includes all of nature in a way that we just see how we're more connected. And to your point, we we wouldn't, it, we, it suddenly becomes obvious that if I'm hurting the planet, I'm hurting myself, or if I'm hurting um you know, my child, I'm hurting the whole, like all of those things just become obvious. They're not conceptual. They're just felt in the person. And so to your point, it's not a thing you have to work on. It's just something that, that naturally happens from that different state of consciousness, that different state of wellness. And I actually feel like at a huge schooling in this deep, deep appreciation for it. When I had my second child four months ago, um, she about two and a half weeks old, developed colic, which is very typical. I hadn't had that with I my first. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I had it. Shame my mom, my mom. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it ends like that. Apparently at some point it'll it turn off at some point, but it did thankfully at about three and a half months old. So I've had about a month of no, no more colic in my life, which, but, um, I realized what a privilege my well-being had been and that when i was dealing with a 2-year-old and an infant with colic i was so completely overwhelmed i became so self-absorbed but in a survival mode kind of way like i couldn't so we have a compost bucket i couldn't take things to the compost because it was four extra steps that i felt like i didn't have the energy to take and i didn't have the time to take but yeah i mean it's funny because as someone who's always cared a lot about the environment you know i i became in my words like a filthy environmental disaster for about three months because i was just in survival mode i was using single use plastics in a way that I never would have. It was like, whatever was easier was what was going to get me through the day. And I thought, wow, this is where so many people are living at all the time. You know, they might not have a colicky baby, but they're living paycheck to paycheck or they're a single parent. I mean, I felt this way with a supportive husband and the ability to send one of my kids to daycare for part of every day. Like, (laughs) 
These are privileges that I have, and I'm still hanging on by a thread and therefore unable to care about the bigger picture. And it just gave me yet another level of appreciation for how well-being can't be a privilege that some of us, you know, get access to in life and others don't. And that's why I'm really committed to making sure that this is something that becomes a part of education for children in all different communities and parts of the world. Yes. Yes. And God, it's like, how do you know? And I'm sure you guys are already thinking about, I, I'm pretty sure you already actually have this going on. Don't you include the parents at some point? Yes. Yes. So it's been really hard since COVID, understandably, again, talk about overwhelm. Um, but having parents be able to show up for anything um, got really hard during COVID. But typically, and we're going to reinstate it now that things are sort of fingers crossed um, back in person. Yeah. Um, because we can make it retreat like for them to come and participate in something where they focus on their own well being. They get to connect with other parents. And yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So when you go in and you share with, um, and you, and you share this, like, you know, at one point, this was something I was, I was going to bring up too, but we don't have to go too much into the details of it, but before, okay, put a pin in what I was about to say previous to what, before one solution, you were in a completely different context in the Mm -hmm. way that you did this. Yes. Do you want to share Can you share a little bit about what you were doing before one solution? (laughs) Yeah. So for um, about 10 years, I ran a company together with my business partner, Aaron. We, uh, it was called One Thought and we focused on organizational leadership and change um, for all the same reasons that we're talking about now. It was just focused specifically on the world of work. Um, And we did some other stuff as well. I mean, we did help, um, you know, different kinds of organizations that were focused on different things, but primarily it was, yeah, leadership and culture change, things like that. Yes. Um, So what do you, the first question that comes to mind is how has that, how has it been different for you? And even though the message is the same, the information is the same, the, the education is the same. Is it different in the way that you deliver it? And, 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 in your, in these two completely different environments? Yeah. I mean, yes and no, to answer your question, like on the one hand, um, the heart of the message is the same, but the, how we connect with people in respect to people has to be different. So, you know, when sitting with a group of law enforcement professionals or sitting with a group of young people, um, sitting with a group of CEOs, like you, you just, you, I think you listen first because what has become so clear to me is we're not, like you said this earlier, we're not teaching people something. It's not like I show up and say, Hey, I have this mathematical equation and I'm going to teach it to you. And when you learn it, voila, everything in the world gets better. It's, it's, it's something that's a pre-existing truth about nature. And so if it's a pre-existing truth about nature, it exists in all of us and how we look there, how we find our way to that internal truth is very personal. It's also very culture, cultural. Um, it's very social. Like we have words and ways of talking about these things. So, um, we listen to people and ask them questions about their lives and look for ways to talk about well-being and resilience and the innate intelligence behind life in a way that makes sense to them and makes them feel like, oh yeah, I am connected to this. This is in me. It has always been in me. And I can see hints and signs of it from my life as opposed to, um, this idea I need to grasp and work hard at to maintain, you know? So that's why when we work, I love working with teenagers um, because more than any other group, they wouldn't do it any other way. You know, like you, you have to make it feel like it comes from them and it's relevant to them because it is not just feel that way, but because it is. Um, And so um, 
finding the way to communicate that's a language that resonates with them from within them is really important. And actually I'll share, we just, on Friday, we had um, kind of a day long Zoom conference event of um, the participants of our Global Change Incubator, which was this kind of nine month program that we did with people from age 16 up to 70 years old from all different countries in the world. We had people from Argentina, India, Germany, US, Canada, um, UK, and all different ages, all different interests, but all people who wanted to make a difference in their life and the world. And so having them present kind of what they'd gotten out of the the program and what projects they were working on, it was so cool to see all the different expressions of this same universal truth. So, you know, it's like we had a, you know, I'm guessing he's in his fifties, you know, long time executive director of an NGO in Germany that focuses on environmental conservation, him expressing how this understanding has transformed how he leads one of the biggest environmental conservation um, or NGOs in Europe and how he wants to bring that to other NGOs in the world. And then the next person who presented is like a 16 year old who's just gotten out of an eating disorder facility, um, talking about how she overcame her eating disorder by understanding this. It was really cool to see all the different humans, how it touched them and how they expressed it. Um, And the creativity was just wildly vast in terms of how people articulated this. There was no one language. There was no one one project, everyone had different words, different projects, different impact, but coming from the same universal space. Does that make sense? 100%. That is so exciting. Do you, how do you navigate having a program like that? Do you, do you have some kind of idea of a framework of what you would like to like a, like an arc of what you would like to share, or do you kind of fly by the seat of your pants and see what comes up in the moment to start to talk about with everybody? It's both. I mean, I think it's really helpful for for things to be responsive to the moment, but also to have some structure. I mean, I think what we have observed in all of the work that we do is no one can do anything outside of themselves until they feel it for themselves first. So it's always kind of like starting with individual, looking within, looking to have a radical shift in our understanding of our own well-being, our own resilience. And when that piece is taken, well, I don't want to say taken care of because it's an endless journey, but when that piece is more deeply understood, then we can start to apply it to things like um, we call it individual, community, systemic, and global change. So whether you want to go out and, to your point, run for political office, or if you want to start or continue to run an NGO focused on environmental conservation, or if you want to help young teenage girls like yourself not develop eating disorders, like all of that capacity gets um, explored as the program goes on, but it has to start with individual and then look at, you know, how does this show up in community work? How does this show up in systemic work? Wow. 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 Good for you. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds good when we talk about it, but the truth is, is it's all a learning. Like we, that was the first time we had done this type of program, the global change incubator, where we really just wanted to experiment with bringing people from all different walks of life together. Um, And it was, you know, we ended up with about 20 people, um, but it was kind of a bumpy road to get it started. You know, we launched the whole idea pre-pandemic, then the pandemic hit. So we had to kind of like restructure the whole thing. And then, you know, we had people come on and with people's different lives and things. So I feel like everything is a process of kind of working out the kinks and seeing what works and what doesn't as you go. So I'm, I'm really excited to do a second version next year and to incorporate all that we learned about what worked and what didn't this year. So, wow. Yeah. yeah. And is your intention for that program to just in the same way of like the education within the school system, just get these, I'm picturing these little these little like flames getting lit all around the world. Totally. <laughs> Is totally. that totally? Kind of <laughs> yeah, yeah. We say that all the time. Spread like wildfire. In a oh good my way. god! I mean, there you sadly, go. it's not a. 
it's a little too close to home here in California sometimes, yes. although fortunately we're having a rainy day, as you know. But um, but yeah, it is. It's about lighting these flames so that they can connect to other flames and that they can grow and be bigger. And and as cliche as that sounds, I don't think it works any other way. It really is these these pockets of light and and you know, you, you've seen and in having interviewed Dejan that that's exactly what he's doing, you know, in Chicago is just trying to light the fire and more young people in his community because he found it in himself. Period. Yes. Period. End of story. I mean, that's honestly, I wasn't looking for something in my own life. I wasn't looking for something to help me. I just was at rock bottom thing and going, I am so sick of hearing the same thing over and over in my head about how lost I am. Mm-hmm. And then that's when it came through that that's that that's that in and of itself is what I was experiencing inside of myself. Yeah. You know, it's like that, you know, we kind of don't see that that the narrative that's constantly in our mind is what keeps us distracted. And because it looks like the narrative is just literally the narrator of your life and you should listen. You right. <laughs> right. Totally. It's just the truth. It's just it turns out. Is it really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's the same kind of thing in me. I, you know, it's it, probably why I was pulled so deeply into paying attention to what you guys were doing. And um, because it's that it was just so organic of I heard something, I saw that there was more to it. And then I just as my like the aperture of my mind opened up bigger and bigger and bigger to what I was experiencing, I was like. I have to leave my regular, my job that I was in and, you know, kind of risk going against or kind of coming up against all my fears of this idea of being an entrepreneur was far from my mind, you mm-hmm. know, but, but it didn't, I didn't even question going in that direction because it was just, that's the vehicle to spreading the, the spreading the information, spreading mm-hmm. the word, waking, waking people up. Mm-hmm. It's and and it's it's all basically just um exactly what we've been talking about here today of what happens when people experience it within themselves first. You just can't help but make an impact on the people around you. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's what I think is so cool is, you know, in the beginning of this work, I used to get intimidated by the questions of like, yeah, but what if you're, you know, in an abusive relationship, this idea that, you know, you're experiencing what's happening in your own mind. No, you're not. You're experiencing an abusive husband. Or in the case of the work we do now, you're experiencing a system of racism that's been in place for hundreds of years. And those things are true. You are experiencing an abusive husband or you are experiencing systemic racism that's been stacked against you for hundreds of years. And we want to work with the people who are responsible for keeping those systems in place or keeping those abuses in place. But we also want to help the people who are victims of those systems or those abusive see that in a different state of mind, they will know how to get out of that. They will literally not be able to stay in it. They will find some way to break it up, to dismantle it, to, in a positive way, destroy it and, and, and create something more beautiful. So it, it comes back to that. Like it, it does have to come from all angles. It's not just about helping to empower the disenfranchised. I mean, even those words are so like, but, but to help everyone see that I couldn't contribute to a racist system if I felt better in myself. And I also couldn't continue to be a victim of it if I felt better in myself, seeing that it's, it's all, I mean, it comes down to, and again, I feel a little bit like I start to talk above my pay grade, which I don't like to do, but I think it all comes down to states of consciousness and that we're in a phase of kind of human evolution where we've reached a level of consciousness where we can see that what we did doesn't make sense anymore. And so we can't keep making the same choices and creating the same things from a different state of consciousness. And this work that we're talking about is just about helping to accelerate that process. I think it would happen regardless of whether anyone was talking about it or trying to do work in this direction. I think it would happen regardless because I think it's part of the life force. Yes. It's part of, Evolution, if you want to call it, yeah. nature, exactly. Yeah. Um, but 
if we can light those fires and help it spread quicker, then great. I love that that word accelerate. I love that word. I'm going to put that in my pocket. It just accelerates it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why our online course is called Accelerating Change. (laughs) Oh, well, that's perfect. And that's the perfect plug, which is my next question to you. Because I I ask every single guest, I ask one final question. But before we do that one final question, where can people give you all the monies? (laughs) Where can people people find you? In all honesty, though, where can people find you and and contribute and be a part of this solution? Yeah, thank you for asking that. Our website has pretty much all of this information. You can learn more about the youth work, the Rebels for Peace. You can learn more about Accelerating Change, the online course, which is also kind of um, a part of the organizational change work that we still do. Um, And you can learn more about our um, Jetpacks for Youth summer internships and how to donate and support all of those various things. So the website is www.onesolutionglobal.org. Um, and we are also all about partnering with other people who care about these kinds of things. So if it's, um, if you are leading an organization and you want to know how you can connect to a social impact project that feels powerful to you and, um, and collaborative. So when we work with organizations that want to have a social impact, but they also want to get this for themselves it's really powerful because we're able to bring in the young people and the parents that we work with to some of the leadership retreats that we have. So um, it's not just, yes, we need money. It's about donating, but also it's about partnering in a way that the benefit is mutual. So if that excites anybody who's listening to, to this podcast, please reach out because we do that as well. Awesome. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. And I will put it in the show notes also cool. on solutionglobal.org. Yes. 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 Thank you. Uh, you're welcome. All right, Mara Gleason Olson, final question. Thank you for an incredible conversation, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. So, 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 so delicious. Okay. Mara. I'm nervous. Okay. What? <laughs> <laughs> this feels big. <laughs> and you can interpret it. Whatever, whatever bubbles up first is, is, is what is, is meaningful to you. All right, Mara, what moves you? Oh, I should have seen that coming. Hence the name. Oh, what moves me? Okay. You know, what's funny is this is the first thing that came to my head and I feel like I somehow have to contextualize it, but it is what it is. Dancing. (laughs) And I know that you used to dance and I used to dance, but the reason I say dancing is I feel like Everything we talked about on this podcast is that there's this kind of this universal truth, which is we're all moving energy. We're all interconnected moving energy. And if we can get the ideas and the constructs and the socialization and the thoughts out of the way that restrict the movement of that energy, more beauty comes into the world. And I didn't know it at the time, but growing up, that's what dance was for me is it was the space where I could just move freely with that energy. And I think if we could bring more of that to the world, then the world will be a more beautiful place. Yep. (laughs) Wow. Thank you. And you just added a whole nother layer of meaning to my life. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, well, and, and so- I, and I look at like my two-year-old and how he loves dancing. And it's like, yeah, of course, of course you love dancing. Like he just randomly says, I dance. He has this adorable way of saying dance. I dance just <laughs> out of nowhere. He just wants to dance. I'm like, yeah, cause that's life right there. Yes. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mara. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Awesome. It was really wonderful. And I'm terrible at wrapping it up. So we'll just, we'll just say (laughs) you so much. I'm really good at at getting the convo going, but ending it is always difficult for me. 
But again, thank you so much, Mara. And I cannot wait to see all of what you continue to do unfold. And honestly, I can't wait to see how what unfolds in my life gets to intertwine with yours to be able to help and be part of all of the, be part of that solution, truly. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for your support so far. We really feel it. Awesome. All right. On to the next. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mara. Thank you for listening to What Moves You with Jesse. Let's stay connected. You can find more ideas and strategies on being human on my Instagram at What Moves You with Jesse. Sign up for my newsletter or learn more about working with me at What Moves You with And please rate and review the show and let us know what you think and what resonated. I read every single review. They mean so much to me. You can also call in on our hotline with your thoughts on what resonated there too. It is always live at 818-646-JESS. That's 818-646-JESS. What Moves You with Jesse is produced by Mike McGraw and Tinker City Music. Now, let's take a deep breath and give ourselves permission to live in this moment for what truly moves you.